If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Turnaround times were the first big issue because right. with that came the faking of the tests. When patients uh, wouldn't receive the test in time, they would be like, the sample would be lost, for example. We'd like, we didn't have the sample. Right. Just boom, produced a PDF and says, here's your test result. It's just as good as guessing at that point. They were... Very few, if any, medical professionals first started building the lab in the basement of a residential condominium. And so here we are, 20 people working upstairs and like, you know, from one room. And then there's this lab in the basement that would never pass any inspection yeah. from the authorities. We had, I think at most like 20 Teslas Model Y. So what about when the actual vaccines came along? If the vaccine is free, then how do you make money? Well, the lowest hanging fruit would be just to test everyone. So there would be a list of doctors sitting. They would receive a list of patients. So they would just pick one, dial, you know, for 30 seconds, uh, 30 second phone call, a minute phone call, ask three questions. And they can build the insurance for the life-threatening condition. So essentially you would go to test for free at the COVID testing you know site and then receive a later a letter from your insurance provider and says you know there's like 600 dollars bill hey this is matt cox and i am here with lev smagan he is the former compliance officer for a healthcare company that we're going to hear all about with a 300 million dollar covid healthcare ish company fraud it's going to be a great video check it out hi thanks for having me You're so serious uh, yeah well have to take it serious right after all i was a compliance guy so we also talk about serious matters in here we're going to cover fraud and uh, you were joking the whole the, way here the true the true well the podcast is called the inside the true crime so yeah. let's get you know let's get amongst it and let's get inside get into the crime yeah get into the crime well can we start with something can we because i mean I, I like to you know i, I mean not everybody necessarily sees it like this but i mean a lot of times people you know like how they got into the situation that they're in not that you did anything wrong but you know a lot of sometimes it's like like your background that sort of thing and you know i thought it was interesting when we were coming over here that like you were born in russia yeah right so can we talk about like where you're born parents kid uh siblings yeah, of course. I was born and raised in Russia until age 19. I went to international to study international business and law in my university. And then I dropped out after two years and moved to the US as part of the student program. And so what did your parents do? Uh, they're just like two normal people. My mom's a teacher, always has been. My dad also used to be a teacher. Then he had his own businesses. Now he's retired, just, you know, playing with grandkids. I have one. So he just started a family recently. And so... They're, you know, just run-of-the-mill, plain, like, plain old people that are just living uh, their happy life in their nice house. And okay. yeah, so nothing extraordinary. I grew up in Siberia, Russia. I played hockey on the club level, took it very seriously. So it was very competitive with my, with my team. And we went on to win state championships and we ranked in top 20 in the country. So I used to travel a lot and right. just be, you know, always on the road and always essentially just uh, taking care of one another. So I, when I went to study international business and law, I, you know, had good training in English economics 
business correspondence and a minor in law that kind of like prepared me to moving to the United States. And when I did, I just, you know, by, by mere chance decided to stay and went into different schools, got different licenses. I did some real estate, then I did some finance, then ended up working in the blockchain space. And that's what kind of brought me to California. And this is where I got my, you know, essentially my training compliance because blockchain space is one of those very heavily regulated industries. And so even though there's a lot of conversation about there's like lack of regulation, but in my opinion, the, you know, the regulation is kind of out there and it's just that the old rules apply. And so I got my most of the compliance training, capital formation, business formation, essentially from that. Just like many blockchain companies that, you know, of that cohort of, we're talking about 2018 now. Um, Did you go to college when you came to the U.S.? You said you went to... No, I never went back to college, but I, I went to get the professional licenses, like okay. I, you know, real estate license, and then I had the the Series 7 training, but I never went on to become a stockbroker, but I knew the, essentially, the ins and outs and the, you know, the lingo. Of, right, right. Of the so you understand what the paperwork, licensing. Or... Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And so once that, you know, that experience allowed me to essentially you know start my own uh, companies i had several startups technology startups both in real estate and then i went on to more serious things like like blockchain technology and so i was always the type of guy who knew how to organize a business and how to formalize it how to you know essentially get a bank account and put yourself in a position where you can hire employees and run payrolls. And that was my almost like bread and butter. So I had several good ideas. Perhaps they were premature sometimes, but they always ended up playing out maybe without me. But, you know, they say, you know, being early is almost equal to being wrong. So, but that kind of like, you know, prepared me for for the bigger, you know, for the bigger roles. So I picked up a lot of compliance and uh, privacy and security skills as far as information privacy and security and so i work with private investigators with detectives they train me on like regulations and so i was more or less familiar with regulatory environments and heavily regulated businesses be it crypto or you know otherwise like financial financial industry and then yes essentially after my last venture had to file for bankruptcy the company that i used to work for that brought me to los angeles to work for a crypto startup they fled the country just like a lot of folks who raised a lot of money and then right. uh, couldn't find the legal footing with the securities exchange commission so they decided to fold and you right. know yeah call, no, it, call it quits and so basically i was the last man standing here i would receive those like claim forms they call them right so that i could gather you know the information from the defrauded investors and then gather it and package it and send it over to the sec and so you're then, still even though the owners of the company are fled the country you're still you're still putting together the the pieces you're still yes they essentially i organized a mini processing office you know where i would just get a p.o box and essentially receive those claims scan put them in spreadsheets make sure they're in the right format and then they would instruct me to pass it over to the regulators as part of the part of the I guess the settlement agreement that they reached. Okay. Uh, and so it was they retained me for several months after. Um, when was so, this? What year? It was twenty. I think well from twenty eighteen full year I worked with them and then for another six months they retained me. So we're talking about until the summer of twenty twenty. Okay. And so 
After that, the pandemic was already going full swing. We learned about the novel coronavirus in late 2019. And then in 2020, if you remember by March, it was basically everywhere. Right. Uh, I was terrifying. And, you know, I just like everyone else, I was, you know, isolated with, you know, just sitting at home, you know, wearing masks everywhere I went and just, you know, being a good law abiding citizen and trying to weather the storm just like everyone else. At some point, you know, as we learned a little more uh, about the age groups and the most vulnerable uh, population who was like, you know, getting a lot of COVID and to those that there was a life-threatening condition, I figured, like, I'm a healthy guy. You know, right. I've never had health issues. I don't think I've seen a doctor in like 15 yeah, years. You're going to be all right. Yeah. So, I was like, you know, at this point, you know, the unemployment rate is through the roof. I think we reached like at some point like 20 to like 25% unemployment. And so... I just, you know, started looking for ways to either either try and help where they would be like delivering meals to those who like Meals on Wheels, for example. It's like a you know, right. program for seniors or those who were, you know, completely isolated so that I could, you know, help essentially fight the pandemic. And so I ended up, you know, just walking into into an interview at the COVID testing site in Venice. And that's how it all started. Okay. Who'd you, who did you, so you walked in there to do volunteer work, but how did that so I initially it's a I leap from where you ultimately end up. Right. So, you know, I initially just browsed like Craigslist and there was like a clinic that it was nearby. It was like near like two, three blocks away from where I lived in uh, Venice, California. And I just, you know, one morning I just got up, just, you know, printed out my old resume. and was like, hell, I can do just, you know, just about anything. I can run the clinic and do operations. So even if, you know, they don't give me a job, I'll just volunteer because that was my idea of helping, you know. And so you thought there's a deadly pan- pandemic going on. Where do people congregate that potentially have this virus? That's where I should be. Exactly. And so that's reasonable, right? That's it's like, you know, they say yeah. the, the, that's, you we, know, that's the opposite of the way I was like, what's happening over there? Oh, they're hit. Right, exactly. Okay. Don't um, go over there. We run towards the danger. You know, <laughs> we don't run away from it. This is like a good quote from Gimli, the the from the Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, <laughs> it's like certainty of death, small chance of success. What are we waiting for? And so I, that's also like the motto I live by. So let's just go and do it. What's the worst could happen, right? I mean, <laughs> you could get wrapped in a three hundred million dollar fraud, but let's get there. So no, so well, you so wasn't me. So, <laughs> so, so you go to the clinic. How long until you kind of meet, you know, these guys or decide or was that wasn't the clinic because you? Yeah, it was the COVID testing clinic, and so believe it or not, the company was called Same Day Testing. Um, the one, the clinic you went to? Yeah, it's called Same Day Testing. Oh, okay. And so later it converted to Same Day Health, but it started out as Same Day Testing. Right. As in, quote unquote, you know, Same Day Results or right. Same Day Registration and Turnaround Time and whatnot. And believe it or not, it all happened in one day. So I woke in and like just with a resume without an appointment at like nine o'clock. I talked to the clinic manager. She just, you know, Browse my resume and goes, okay, so I don't think you should be a side manager here, although I can train you how to be one. I want you to meet with the founders of the company. I want you to meet with the CEO. And I was like, right on. Right. And so she gives him a call. Is like, hey, this guy is here. He looks great. 
let's hire him. I think he's good. He's going to be good on the expansion team. So let's do it. She sends me out to the second interview. So an hour later, I go to another location, which is another like few blocks away. So I, I meet with this guy named Felix. And so I couldn't even understand whether it was, you know, like a startup or it was like multiple clinics if they were running a healthcare business. But it didn't seem like that. It was more so the vibe of like like a regular startup that was working out of a co-working space. And so I sit down with Felix, talk to him for, you know, a few moments. And then he's like, all right, that's cool. Let me introduce you to this guy, this other guy on our team. He's leading the expansion. I think you should be like, you could be a good fit. So just talk to him and see if you guys, you know, can make something out of it. I was like, right on. So I go inside, meet this like tall guy, good looking, you know, very like a clean European look. We sit down and talk. So I couldn't understand whether, you know, it's just like they're foreigners. Are they like, are they in the medical field? But, you know, it's just first impressions. So like, it, it was it was all on one on top of the other on top of the other. So we talk about more deeply about startups, culture. I talk about my experience building websites, you know, fundraising, running operations, processing, basically all in one. So he's like, all right, cool. I like it. We'll give you a call. And I was like, sweet. So I'll go home. Maybe a few hours later, Felix calls me. He's like, hey, Lev. I'd like to offer you a test week. Are you like, are you working full time now with your website or what's going on? I'm like, no, I'm available. I'm ready to go. I was like, all right, cool, cool. Just, you know, let's start tomorrow. You know, if you like it, we'll give you a test week. See how you fit. So that, um, that's Felix. Who's the other guy? What's his name? Did the you other guy, name? Maxo. Maxo. Uh, yeah. Okay, so cool. it's Felix, Felix Hudenbach and Max Oscar Ilma. So tough names. <laughs> they're tough people. <laughs> So we, uh, we ended up talking a little more on the phone and uh, he suggested that I start immediately. And so... So you understand that both of these guys are what? They're German? Later on, I learned, yes, they were both they German. They didn't speak German? That you didn't hear an accent? In between themselves. I heard it, but, you know, it's very hard to pinpoint because these days, just like myself and the uh, kids that, you know, even travel from out of Europe, English is almost like our, like almost like, I want to say second, but it's almost like our first language because most of the correspondence, the shows, the music, right. everything is around you. Is the entire pop culture. Okay. Like the everything that Hollywood expo- exports, it's essentially, it helps you in both training. So you could say that it was European, but you couldn't quite say whether it was, you know, Dutch or German or Danish or right. whatever the case. But you just know that they own this clinic. Right. And so... And I was like, well, you know, I want to learn the business aspect of running a healthcare clinic. And Maxwell goes, well, we're not running a healthcare clinic. We're just doing COVID testing sites. Right. And I was like, well, that's simple. But, you know, I also, you know, read about several people who are extremely successful who built, you know, healthcare clinics from Twitter. And so I was like, well, that's also a great field to build a career. And if this is almost like your your foot in the door. Yeah, I was going to say, this is your end. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, I could run operations. I have, you know, a lot of different skills. I'm not particularly like a specialist in one, you know, certain area. But I go deep and I can be better than mediocre, you know, better than, you know, a lot of other people could because of just perseverance and just, you know, my ability to learn quick. So... It was more of a, like, I, I want to also test myself and see how far I can get with this and, you know, what I can help these guys with. So the same very day, Felix offers me a job and is like, all right, show up tomorrow. 
And so I go to the website. I'm like, well, I better get prepared. It's a healthcare company. I'm yeah. going to go there tomorrow. So I start reading the website. There's like references to FDA. There's references to um, CDC, uh, Center of Disease Control, and FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. So I text Felix and like, hey, Felix. So I found the reference about the Center of Disease Control. Like, should I learn more about like, you know, the guidelines? So where can I find more information? And the guy goes, why don't you just come in right now and we can start working? And I was like, wait a minute. So three interviews, an offer, accepted, started in the same day. So right. same day testing. Okay. <laughs> That's how it all started. The clinics themselves, so we call them testing sites, right. uh, I later learned. It was more so that it was like a quick temporary setup. It was either on a parking lot or short-term lease, but... The mechanics of it was almost like you can invest $20,000 into the, to open the clinic. And it took just, you know, some plastic chairs and tables, some personal protective equipment, and you would have a greeter as a host, someone who would check in the clients. There would be a clinic manager, there would be a nurse doing the actual swabbing, and there would be a driver. That's it. That was basically the... Is there anybody from like the government that comes in and says, okay, you have this? You have, Is there a checklist? Somebody comes in and makes sure that you've got everything? Or is it just like in you get it, You get an email that says, look, these are the things you have to have. Fill out this form. In theory, there should be, right? right. There, there's... But of course, it's, I understand also it's everywhere. Like, yeah, it's everywhere. The state of emergency is declared everywhere by every governor. And so the... The health the healthcare system is just overwhelmed. Right. So those who are that like you know first responders we call them or the frontliners who are the medical professionals working in the hospitals, uh, but then they also included the firefighters or anyone who had any sort of like training how to deal with emergency outbreaks or uh, public public health issues, or what they call them the emergency emergency response uh, units, and so by then everyone was overwhelmed. So you would imagine that the state agency that is in charge of overseeing those, which would be, for example, in California, that is the um, California Department of uh, Public Health. And then in within this Department of Public Health, there's a regulating body. It's called the Laboratory Field Services. And that is the one that usually issues the licenses, and they're called CLIA licenses. Um, and they range anywhere from low complexity to high complexity. And so ideally, yes, you should have everything in place. And that's what you would, on the outside of it, the way it looked is everything was in place. Right. However, it was more so that, you know, someone hacked away on how to open a COVID test inside for 20 grand and then make right. that money in like less than a week. Right. So how are they being paid? You guys are basically finding a place. You're setting up these testing centers all over the place. You're putting them online saying, hey, by the way, there's one here at the Walgreens. We got one at CVS. There's one. At, is there still Walgreens? I don't know. Anyway, CV, you know, there's one at CVS. There's one at this grocery store. There's one here. You guys go with a bunch of tables. You pop them up. You hire a registered nurse, right? So she, you've got to have the nurse. And then you guys have a few other workers. You have the equipment, the gloves, the whole thing. You start testing. Right. So you would also have to have, let's say... Uh, in, you have to have the tests. You have to have the tests, yeah. Right. So you have to have the reagents and essentially someone who would do the actual testing. Now, there are different types of tests and 
the way it started, it was the other component of it is having a relationship with, with a laboratory that is actually licensed. Mm-hmm. So back to your question, who, you know, oversees that or who, you know, essentially gives those licenses, that would be laboratory field services or the equivalent of in any other state. And so there was an existing laboratory and Felix had a relationship with the guy who owned that lab. And so the mechanics were, you would deliver me samples for testing. And there are two types. One was covered by insurance through CARES Act. And then the other ones were self-pay. So if you're uninsured and you paid out of pocket, you basically paid us directly. And so in the end of the month, the books were balanced as to you would have, let's say, a certain amount of the tests that you delivered to the lab that were paid by insurance so you didn't collect any money. The lab would collect the money from the insurer through CARES Act. And then the other type, you would be delivering tests that people paid out of pocket. So let's say the lab would pay you 30 to 40 dollars per test they would charge insurance 70 to 100 so they have their profit margin and then the ones that you bring to them they would charge you 30 40 dollars so in the end your books would be balanced so you owe them nothing you keep your cash right right or let's say you owe them for if there was let's say an off chance there were a lot of insurance covered patients you would end up owing them from the cash balances that you have that you received as self-pay that's what we call them so what is the profit margin that you taking the test make exactly? They could be huge, honestly. And that is, again, I wasn't on the financial side of things as in I was never exposed to the actual, you know, thankfully right. <laughs> to the, you know, ever-growing bank accounts and, and balances. But it was sufficient, uh, it would be sufficient to say that you can open a location, invest 20 grand, and you can make that in the first week, two weeks. Right in cash, so and you don't know ca- that like every test made about fifty bucks a piece, roughly. Just or? about that, yeah. So wow. they, on average, we would charge maybe like a hundred dollars, right. give or take, because you know some for the insurance, some were, and then the prices you know would go up and surge and then go down right, right. as the yeah yeah. Sometimes well. you're making seventy five bucks, sometimes you're making twenty, and also, but on average, you're saying about fifty. Yeah, just about that, fifty plus, for example, right. and. um the, uh, there were also available other places, like you mentioned the CVS and other pharmacies that offered the same service, but they were so backed up and the right. demand was always growing because anyone who had to travel, who had to go back to work, had to go back to school, were simply unprepared for it. Yeah. And so we provided more of a convenience of a luxury service where you would come in and there would be like this beautiful site with like music popping and then... Like there'll be like palm trees and, you know, like all good looking people and stuff, you know, like selling you. It's just like, I don't know if you've ever seen like How I Met Your Mother and there was like these architects named Sven, they come in and then just blow everyone out of the water with like house music and disco lights. That was basically the setup with, there was the first impression that everyone would get. Like I'm going to the Gucci store of COVID testing. So you're hiring strippers to <laughs> swab their mouths or there there is some. The, there uh, were some instances of that too. Uh, again, I don't want to take away in lab from. Coats. In lab so coats. So they're classy. Exactly. Right. So we provide them the nurse scrubs. I designed those too so that, you know, we always select the top of the line. So even our nurses and, you know, the greeters looked fine and, and professional. So that was essentially the nature of the business. So you have a quick setup, you have a relationship with the lab, and then you carefully manipulate the CARES Act that guaranteed the payout. So for the most part, people will come in and they would get tested for free if they covered by insurance. And then, you know, if they didn't, they would just pay out of pocket. And right. when I say pay out of pocket, 
It was not even cash that they were handing over. It was all through Stripe payments. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I got tested through COVID a couple times. Mm-hmm. I never paid. Well, yeah, because it's probably one through your insurance. There were also some some rules that you cannot be turned down, I didn't right? Have so, you, but I mean, yeah, yeah. So let's say CVSs and like the public hospitals offered yeah. it for free. No, I mean, I, I actually went to a place that was basically in the parking lot. Somewhere. Oh, really? Yeah, and there was a line, and yeah. I went through the line. Well, and- I, I don't think they could turn you down. That's the whole point. Right. So like they wouldn't, you know, they would ask you for money, and so you know, this just stared you like those, yeah. you know, you know how they tip two boxes everywhere now like yeah. 35% 40% so like you can always say no yeah. right so what are they gonna do turn you down no like they have to test you a lot of people just fake their insurance too so but it was like the demand and the volume of like of people coming in every day so we would have you know anywhere from 100 to like 300 on best days some of the sites had like 500 people testing in one day right and they all just line up just to give you like 150 200 dollars here and it's also, they already prepaid for everything. means right. that it was so easy for them to essentially have a website where they just go in, put their information, click book appointments, and then pay through like through credit card and Stripe. Yeah. So the money would be in your account as soon as it clears. So you, there's no cash handling. There is no like, it was also tax-free because it was essentially a medical service that you're providing. Right. So you go to the parking lot, you see a stripper, you get your mouth swabbed, they stick it in a thing. Somebody tests it. Well, I don't want to take away from the uh, the people who worked at the sites. Of course, they were there for different reasons. Because again, you had the nurse. Again, yeah, they're most of the people who showed up to work for same day were very mission driven, and that's why I believe it's one of the like keys, like you know, keys to success in any startup is that you have all these mission driven people that are uh, showing up and just ready to work 12, 14, you know, hours a day because they know they are doing the, the public, you know, they're in the public good space and they're, they're providing the essential service. They are basically the frontliners. And so just because of that is sorry. just, you see how it, I, I want to say they're doing God's work, Yeah, the, but I'm sorry, go ahead. You're, you're, I actually refer, used to refer to nurses and say they used to do God's work okay. because again, we would, the very little we could do for them is just make sure that they're properly equipped, that they have, you know, a lot of hours. And then, you know, that we give them a nice little, you know, set of scrubs, like, you know, embroidered. So they look professional and they have something to take home. Even though they could have find, you know, they would have been able to find this sort of like job during the COVID pandemic anywhere. But they, you know, joined us and they just standing there, just swabbing people day and night. Right. Just, you know, being essentially exposed. And, and I did that too. Like I would not, I didn't do the swabbing, of course. But like on my off days, on Sundays, I would just, you know, go to the office have breakfast because we always have like you know a bunch of food there's another key to success just you know always have full fridge so that you know people who show up for work they just always stick around later for dinner so like that's how you work uh, longer have them stay it's either that or you have to give them adderall that's (laughs) but he he's but i'm making fun of the situation so go ahead there was yeah there was an actual anecdotal story because we were like as we were growing, we had like, you know, 50 sites who were making, you know, money hand over fist. And Felix goes to like to the office assistant and he looks at the lunch tab because we like order lunches and dinners every day to the office and like from the most expensive restaurants. So he looks at the lunch and is like, $700,000 for lunch? It was like, yeah, well, you know, we have like 20 people. It's like, give them all Adderall. <laughs> so they, they would eat less and work more. <laughs> so... Good guy. 
Great guy, yeah. great guy. He had uh, a lot of growth hacking secrets, you know, <laughs> of, of that sort. He was also always on that too. Again, I, I just, uh, there were like so many situations where you can almost like see him like tingling, you know, just sitting there, just like coming up with brilliant ideas. It's like, hey, why don't we just give everyone ice cream at the sites? We're like, what? Why? It's like, well, if you think about it, there's a box of ice cream and you have to get a freezer and there's three freezers on the width and the height. Okay, Brogan, please order five freezers and ice cream. We, we're just standing there and I was like, like- Why are we giving away ice cream? Exactly, everyone's People are lining sick. up to hand us money anyway. Yeah, anyway, yeah. I mean, just one of the perks, one of those like, you know, maniac episodes. But yeah, so, you know, this is the bare bones of the business. So essentially, depending on what type of COVID test you're offering, you have to have certain licensing. So in many cases, we would act as a, as a like last mile delivery, a transportation agent. So we would get the customer's information. We would present it as a, uh, as a lab form. Then we just, you know, match the, put one barcode in the tube. And then so that we know that when they arrive to the lab, it's matched with our portal so that when we receive the result, we can deliver it to the patient. And then later on, it was automated, but not at first. So this is where the crime part starts, right? So let's talk about that first, perhaps about like, you know, how the privacy sort of like laws and privacy rule works, HIPAA privacy. And then we can dive deeper into like, how do you offer different types of tests and what is required right. to do that? So the bare bones of the business was that you would essentially fill out this form, would have your information in the portal, would just push it over to the laboratory and then laboratory would produce a test. And so normally it would have to be automated so that you know the lab, as soon as they produce the result, it pushes essentially the email to the customer, to the patient with the you know the result whether it's uh, detected or not detected it wasn't the case in the first few i would say first month maybe two months because we didn't have the automation from the lab portal into our database and so we would log in into our database and then we would search for the patients that tested in that day and then we would go to the lab portal and query them one by one so then this way we'd have the PDF and then we'd just take this PDF, attach it to the email that we have like in the list of patients and send it out. Say, hey, here's your you know test result. So, But you're not really supposed to do that, right? Yeah, like, we're also email, using could that personal be? devices, download right. everything. So it's, like, it's a huge violation of HIPAA, HIPAA privacy rule. And so like my first role outside of being the logistics manager. So I first, I started organizing the sites as in everything that they need to be open turnkey. So when I say $20,000 to open a site, Perhaps like 10 of it went to the lease, like, you know, it would be a short term, about 5,000 to the equipment and then 5,000 as a startup cost to like pay off the first, like, you know, first couple of paychecks. So like anywhere from like 20 to 25 grand was the, maybe like the ballpark. So um, I started with that. So I started with just organizing those sites. But as soon as I saw that we had to, I always had to do that to like send out on the overtime, I would just sit there and send out, you know, the emails to patients. I was like, well, why don't we just, you know, we need to have someone who's trained on HIPAA so we can train others. And so it, we can prevent that, you know, from happening again. And so essentially my first two roles were the HIPAA privacy and security officer. I went to through the training course, I did uh, audits, there were like six audits. Three of them are company-wide for the flow of information, for the safeguards that are in place. And then the other three are more on the physical side of things. How do you store devices? If you have like screen protectors on the laptop so that patients who come in cannot see the information of other patients. Right. And yeah, that, would, that was basically the responsibility. So I trained, 
in a year more than you know 12 to 1500 employees just on that so where were you at, at, at this point you know not so over the course of a year after the year but when you first started where were you working out of? so i started in october 2020 so it was right before the thanksgiving and the new years which was our first like huge wave and influx of, of customers by then we operate we were operating close to 30 locations okay. and by that i mean we like we all had our separate roles so i was making sure that maxo let's say had a spreadsheet of all the locations that he was planning to open with he would work with real estate agents in all different areas so they would just you know scout the spots for us and they knew the landlords who would be willing to lease us this space then we would uh, hire a site manager and then help them to hire you know the staff around that and then my job would be to train those people on the privacy laws and then i would also fully equip the site as in i would just send everything turnkey as in you would have like 40 50 boxes arriving so you just need to unpack install everything so it was basically tuned down to the point where it took us we could open the site in it like in a few hours and have it up and running the next day so with that we opened close to 30 locations before new year's and then in the next maybe so it took us like three months give or take and then took us another like three months to open another 20 so i think we're operating 50 locations by the beginning of 2021 and we well we were in 15 states so my first two roles were to essentially equip them, but then we started running into problems where there would be inspectors coming in. And the problems would be anywhere from mm. zoning violations. Let's say we would open in a retail, like retail zone, whereas they would consider this as a medical practice. Even though we didn't have like medical equipment, we're just collecting samples. At, you know, at worst, we Those have like- Those pesky in- inspectors. Yeah, but you know, again, it's it was more the case of a noble cause corruption. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term. It's like when the cops used to take um, bribes or used to use like a necessary force back in the day, like in the 80s, 70s and 80s, because it was almost like justified because they were, you know, killing or hurting bad guys. Or they would take bribes from one group so that they this group takes out the other group. So they called it noble cause corruption, right? So similar to... <laughs> Makes it okay. I know. So similar to this, we were doing the, you know, we're doing public service. We're doing public good. Yeah. But were we doing everything kosher? Listen, Probably I'm with not. you. I'm with you. You want to work out of a gas station? I don't care if it's medical or not. Let's do this. Right. Let's set up, get me some card tables, a nurse, yeah. and, and some gloves. Let's there's, do- there's this classic writer, Franz Kafka, and he has like this very short story that's called Before the Law. And so it's basically the... A man goes and stands in front of the gate and then the gatekeeper says, you're not allowed in this to pass through this gate. It's not your time. And so the man waits and then the gatekeeper says, well, you can always go through this door. But after that, there's a second gatekeeper and he's terrifying. And again, you can try to go through him, but there's going to be a third door gatekeeper. And I am terrified of the third gatekeeper. So... So essentially, we went through several doors. But in that story, man just never enters and he basically dies by the door. Classic Kafka. But because he was too afraid to, you know, go through the first gate. And so we went through, you know, several gates. You guys gates. weren't afraid. Felix ended up going through probably... Felix doesn't care because Felix can always take off. Exactly. And so essentially, we were running in all different directions. And because we were so motivated, we were driven. We were essentially, you know 
we thought that we were doing only the good. Right. And for the, uh, maybe because of our ignorance, maybe because we just didn't know what was required, that sometimes we were just considering ourselves as just like a retail office or... Does, does Felix feel like he's just out there doing good? <laughs> yeah. Does he? Well, let's put it this way. When you start and you have people just, you know, lining up to give you money. And so your bank account grows from 50 grand to 500 grand to 5 million. Right. And you feel like there is no one coming for it because, first of all, you're, you know, you're still under this cover of public health and you're helping, you know, to fight the pandemic. Second of all, everyone's overwhelmed. So even if Felix's philosophy was that of he even used to say, and I, and I say, you know, I, I laugh about it to this day. He used to compare himself to Warren Buffett. That's how they collected so much you know, premiums and like all these insurances up front that they put so many legal, you know, walls, it would take you decades just to try and sue them and try to get that cash back. But by then they made so much money already. They were so cash heavy that they could afford to fight these legal battles forever. Right. And so that was his philosophy. He's like, well, you know, cash is cheap right now. So let's collect as much as we can. Just keep it coming. It doesn't matter. Open the site. I don't care if it gets shut down. Just open it, open it. We'll so run just, it until it gets shut just down. Just go gun hell for every single direction. So Maxo is doing the site scouting. He hires managers, runs the operations. That's his general. And then essentially we just essentially help, you know, like we had like 50 balls in the air and you were right. just essentially just standing like this. You like trying to like, oh, this site is getting shut down. Oh, this site is getting busted. Oh, this inspector showed up. Oh, the FDA is writing a letter. And so little by little, we were starting to get more and more, you know, more money, more problems. So oh, like yeah. just getting so much attention from the regulators. And it usually like stemmed from a, a customer who didn't receive the tests, you know, result in time, missed the flight, you know, had to cancel the entire trip. And so they would create a huge drama. Right. Um, wanted to say, you know. We got to get those people the, the, the I was so quicker. grateful. Exactly. But also like, I just want to sit like, you know, express gratitude for the customer service that worked with us. And those are the people who did, you know, so much thankless like work because again, they will be the front, the first ones to hear about it. And it would be nonstop. It would be just people calling. What do you imagine if you're doing like a thousand tests a day and then go to like 5,000 tests per day and then 10,000 tests? That's 10,000 people that could potentially call you and ask for the money back. Right. And so they were continuing to, you know, push forward as, as far as we could. And so at some point, I also assumed the responsibility of doing all the business compliance. So I established fully the logistics department where I would, you know, the whole equipping thing pass it on to the new manager that was hired. And then I moved on completely to the business compliance. And so basically we needed, I'll mention in the beginning that I know I knew how to wrap up the business in every state with right. certificate of authority, with permission to hire like, you know, employer registration, tax registration. So I knew how to qualify the company and the business in every state so that when we went to the state and opened the location, at least we had some sort of registration as in, hey, we are same day, we're doing this. So maybe we didn't have, you know, the medical license and that was required, but at least we were declaring who we are and, you know, what we did in that particular, you know, state, city, municipality. Town. I just don't, I don't understand that they're able to build the insurance companies and build the government for money that they're not licensed to. This is where the whole trouble essentially starts because sooner or later, 
it will you know snowball and catch up with you and come in the form of a of an avalanche okay legal avalanche at that so the first so it, i mean can i ask you at this point money's coming in yeah you're getting paid everybody's getting paid are you guys have you guys you're not getting paid well you're doing it pro bono again because the guys were foreigners they weren't quite you know familiar with biweekly pay cycles they weren't familiar <laughs> with payroll taxes or unemployment insurance they so just they were checks when people complained no not quite it was made basically like we'll pay you every month as a contractor and they basically this is where the first like big lawsuit came and this is like a class action this is where like it covers the span of the uh, from the beginning of the company until from september 20 september 1 2020 through january 31 2021 so the first four months and that is when everyone was working as a was and I quote willfully misclassified as independent contractor in violation of labor laws and they're like 12 other charges no right. overtime no pays failure to pay wages due to owing separation failure to reimburse expenses basically it was like i'll sell you like your paycheck and so again to them it was more so you know it was just like hey everybody's happy like you know they're getting paid cash and then there came a stru- you know there came a point of, of reckoning where like you know someone actually sued and ended up winning this class action i was part of it too but i i opted out from the settlement because it was insignificant let's put it this way to release all the claims against them for the first like six months of when all of the value for the company was created right so essentially if you were to you know accept that from them that would mean that you're okay with you know just working for five thousand bucks a month for the first like six months and right which is like puts you to like what 60 grand in healthcare right in the middle of a pandemic it's like that's not even like chunk change it's basically in california there's just enough to pay rent and so right. we weren't like there was only one guy who was making money it was felix because when he formed his company he formed it as a single member llc so it wasn't corporate there were no board of directors there were no other shareholders there was no right. company to speak of it was just felix he had the minority partner later on maxo who got you know some percentage of it but no one else did and so you know at some point we had to ask him so what's going on you know like are are we getting any upside of it some of us received like small like bonuses performance bonuses but then again they were like you know two three thousand dollars like a yearly bonus right like that's cool and all right but let's admit it you know we're making you know hundreds of thousands every month you know close to million dollars every week and somehow of course it all went to you know back into the companies so we can actually grow but for the first six months the name of the game was just basically collect as much cash the pirate principle you know how they right. say the pirate code take all you can give nothing back that was it <laughs> so where were you working though at this point were you working out of your house out of the clinic so at first first we started so we were a few blocks away from we rented out a like a garage from a production studio so it was like a two-room office so everyone was who worked on the headquarters side was there and then we would go back and forth into the sites if they need something later on we we opened we actually rented this as we opened more locations and there were more and more people who just becoming a little bit too crowded so we went at they went, you know, Felix went and rented some offices that used to be rented by Snapchat. And Snapchat had like half of Venice rented as their offices, but because of the remote work, they sent everyone home. 
So they were looking to sublease a lot of right. a lot of spaces. And so we ended up renting two beachfront condos. They were like lofty spaces. They're like gorgeous. And so Felix took one of them and made it into in, into his house. He called it Tulum because he used to go to Tulum, Mexico. He loved it so much. Everything had to be white, linen, you know, surfboards. Right. And so he turned it into his like, you know, his loft and the place he ended up moving into and staying. And uh, yeah, it was it was kind of wild because first we thought, okay, so we're all getting these two new two new offices to you know move around. But it was more so that Felix would occupy the front and you know invite the people that he liked. <laughs> and organized raves and then everyone else worked across the alley what was really funny about it though is that we had we started building our own lab because felix wanted to open a lab first in the van like in mercedes mercedes benz sprinter van because one of his friends in germany had a lab running out of a van and so you would imagine it would like take years to license that right. <laughs> like probably never it's like a, based on but on but uh, again whatever stopped felix okay. or felix whatever is, stopped the startup bros yeah. from doing anything like that yeah felix's model was to skip the licensing skip the licensing you know just stick it in there let's go to burning man and test everyone essentially right let's reopen the burning man better yet uh so we first started building the lab in the basement of a residential condominium I don't know if you ever been inside of a high complexity laboratory. It's usually like very squeaky clean, sanitized everything. And so here we are, 20 people working upstairs and like, you know, from one room. And then there's this lab in the basement that would never pass any, like any, any inspection yeah. from the authorities. And so the way, I don't know if you ever acquired a lab before. Yeah, no, I have never pro had a lot. Pro probably no. not. But you know how the re reverse... I, I do remember watching a documentary and they showed... Elizabeth lab, Holmes? Elizabeth Holmes' lab, yeah. which was very nice. Okay, yeah. So similar to that, but forget the nice part. And yeah. uh, just imagine a, a condominium with a basement in it. Actually, basements aren't even allowed in California because of the because of the earthquakes. So it's actually ground level. Okay. And in the off chance that you never inquired the lab in your life before... Here's how you do it. You're familiar with reverse mergers in, in corporate, right? So when, let's say, a publicly traded company or a shell acquires, or let's say you acquire a shell and then you reverse merger your business into that. So it's, it becomes a publicly traded company. And so it can be sold in OTC like those, those pink slips. So similar to that, you can go ahead and acquire a non-existing, non-functioning laboratory that has a license in, let's say, specialty that you need. Let's say in our case, it was virology. And so Felix went and bought a lab that was not functioning, but was still had like, you know, somewhat of registration and licensing from the laboratory field services and CLIA license. And so then we essentially had to do, we, what we had to do, we had to submit what's called the CMS 116 form. And it's a center of Medicare and Medicaid services, CMS, where you would receive your CLIA number and the, the CLIA license. And so because the clear number was already in place, that's what actually went on the test result. It says your name, your date of birth, your information, then the clear number, lab director, et cetera, et cetera. And so what he did is essentially he acquired a shell that was non-functioning, and then we started building a lab. So we changed the address, we changed the lab director, we changed the ownership. And while this application was in process, because we already submitted it, it's like, let's just run our own tests. Why right. not, right? We, we already have the clear number. What else do you need? 
that application got rejected in six months. But by, by the time it got rejected, we already moved it to a different place. And then by then we moved it elsewhere already. So we keep just submitting applications with changes and they could never basically just come in or because there was such a backlog, they could never even come in and, you know, check who's doing those tests. And you're still running, you're still doing the tests, billing the government or billing the... So by then, yes, we we established a our own billing department, acquired like the NPI numbers and stuff. And right. so it's like, how do we bill insurance? So like we need to get rid of, you know, of all the dependencies because our biggest bottleneck was that just like how customers would complain, they would complain mostly about the turnaround times. So right. what was promised like 24 hours always turn out to 48 to 72. Sometimes you went to like, you know, five, seven days at like the, the peak hours. So the types of tests that are produced in the lab are called RT-PCR. So you have two types of tests, right? You have RT-PCR, which are high complexity tests. And that's what you will need the laboratory that specializes in virology. So you could bring those. So at first, Felix said the partner who he could bring to, and then the partner would build the insurance. And then, you know, that sort of like hand washes hand. And then with that, he said, <laughs> we had a meeting in April. So the guy goes, well, from now on, our company is no longer default dead. We're default alive. And in startup terms, it means that you are, you went from zero to one. Like you are, you're reaching the escape velocity. You're no longer dependent. You have the revenues coming in and you are essentially, you, you are a viable business as in like, you're not going to get shut down or folded because you don't have funding or because of the, because you have like legal modes, you have, a, you know, financial modes. They would protect you from, you know, essentially, or you have enough runway for the next, let's say, two, three years. So no one has to worry about getting paid. By then we had both of the lab, so we didn't have to rely on third party partners. Right. We could guarantee, you know, some sort of, at least we had control of the turnaround time so that there would be no other, like 10 other guys who bring in their samples. It was just us. Plus we could start taking our own, you know, uh, samples from other guys, let's say from other labs. Engels. So we, so he goes, we're no longer default dead. We're default alive. This company is going to be worth 1 billion. We're going to be a unicorn. And uh, from now on, (laughs) wait for it. From now on, everyone will only be getting rent money as salary. And then we're going to give shares to share the upside of the company. I was like, yeah, (laughs) that lasted for maybe two weeks. I was going to say, also, you're assuming that COVID goes forever. That too, although people were very skeptical because again, we weren't sure if we're going to go for the next three months or, you know, the summertime was approaching. So like usually it slows down and then picks up again by the holiday season where people start to travel, the weather gets nasty here, people get sick. So I always went by what the the big wigs said, those who worked in like, you know, big pharma companies and those who were working on the vaccine. And by their words, like COVID would still be around until at least summer of 2022, which gave us like another like 18 months. And we were making like maybe a million dollars a day at that point. We were like- How many employees do you guys have? I think at most same day had about 1500, but at that time we had about a thousand. And then what was also, you know, this is where the, you know, the cracks began to show because once the volume started slowing down, Felix wanted to watch the bottom line, essentially. And so he went from managing the growth and bringing in the value to managing value and how we preserve that. How do we keep the longest runway? Who do we cut first? And so in one day, a guy like almost fired like 300 people and then goes on the Instagram and posts a picture of like from his like Tulum that he called like foosballs, you know, surfboards. He says, childhood dreams come true. He just laid off 
300 people just laid off 300 people nurses mind you nurses including nurses and like those staffers at the sites because you know the demand was slowing down well, luckily he had a bunch of yes men to do that so yeah. he would just tell him hey we need to cut this and so the guy would just go and just lay, start laying people off or like give them 30 hours because by then you see the class action covered like until end of january 2021 we're talking about by april there was another person hired to manage the hr uh, and that person, unfortunately, came in and, you know, persuaded Felix into firing everyone and rehiring them under her company, which she then presented as a professional employer organization. Yeah, yeah. In reality, it was just like a regular LLC. She later, you know, got you know to, into the licensing, not without my help, of course, yeah. and pushing and, in, well, let's put it this way, encouraging people to do the right thing. But essentially what happened was Everyone who worked at headquarters were maybe like 20 to like 50 people at, you know, give or take, and people would come and go. At headquarters, we worked for the same company. That's the one that was the the main entity. And then everyone else who worked at the sites went to work. They were essentially terminated and then rehired by that uh, labor company. They also had a bunch of like class action lawsuits piling right after that. So what about the, the turnaround time? When did that become time. an issue? I want to say there as as we grew, no, you know, yeah. as the exposure. You were saying that you were sorry. You were saying that the turnaround time was supposed to be twenty four hours, but in, in actuality, most of it was forty eight hours to seventy two hours, maybe ninety six. So it was actually much further. What was done to offset that? So we could actually deliver in twenty four hours and under twenty four hours once we had our own lab. And that is because we controlled, you know, we could control the samples and we also, again, we offered free sample, like free testing. But if you paid us $75, we would expedite it for you. You know what expediting means at times? We had our offices right on the beach. A block away was the lab and another block away was the collection site. So people will literally pay you 75 bucks so that we could just walk it. Right. (laughs) Walk it to the lab. We used to do like our own testing, but not at first, but later on as we like, you know, as you know, started to, um, you know, tighten up, you know, the measures and the compliance, um, we would once a week at least go and uh, in between the employees from the office, just go and test. And so I would literally walk into the testing site. I would swab my, like, you know, even myself or with a nurse and then just, you know, break the tip, put it into the chemical solution walk over to the lab, drop it off in the plate and just camp outside the office for an hour and boom, I have RT-PCR test, okay. which is the highest complexity available for me and so I can go into work. So we could deliver on that, but there was an upcharge. However, in the busiest of times, when we were operating at like 50, 55, 60 sites, there was still a lot of backlog. On top of that, we started opening a business to business division, which means that we could, let's say, send a nurse into, let's say, McDonald's food manufacturing facility. And then she would collect, let's say, 50 to 100 samples. We offer both rapid testing, which would be like produced right on the spot, or it would just be delivered to the lab so it could be tested and the results would be delivered later. And that's when essentially the the conflict came in with I turned, you know, as I learned later from LA Times of all of all places. Los Angeles Times covered the story about district attorney of Los Angeles as well as a city attorney about 
faking of COVID tests. Right. Which kind of like took me, you know, by huge surprise because to my knowledge, like how I describe, we would, you know, have access to those PDFs. So it's, you know, evidently at some point when, you know, the production company would not receive the test in time or some patients uh, wouldn't receive the test in time. They would be like, the sample would be lost, for example. We'd like, we didn't have the sample. Right. For example, like... Imagine if, let's say, we had a location in Maryland, right? And so we didn't have a partner in Maryland. So those samples would pack like 500 in the suitcase. We would pay the mule to actually take the overnight flight in here. And there would just, samples would be bursting. There would be like no sample and stuff. So it would be like, we're not going to admit so we lost the sample because like thousands of miles away. Right. Just boom, produced a PDF and says, you know, <laughs> here's your test result. It's just as good as guessing at that point because like everything is destroyed, blew up in the air or like, you know, stored in the open sun for quite some time. So it was just more of a joke. But yeah, it just, you know, once the district attorney sent the subpoena and, you know, started asking all these questions they call interrogatories. And uh, they later learned that, you know, the, there's no hiding from the truth because everything leaves a trace in the email. And this guy's told to this, you know, customer support or lab support just to produce the result. I don't care. Like, you know, there's like Drake waiting for his like production video to start. And like, you know, we have to tell them they're all negative <laughs> so that right. they can continue to shoot. And, you know, had I known this, of course, I would just ring the bell. But, you know, I was so busy and inundated with like all these tasks that, you know, it was just even like, it would always go behind my back because I was the guy who always like, you know, tried to do the right thing and bust everyone for the wrongdoing. Because if I would be furious, I would just probably fire them right in the spot. I mean, not myself. I wasn't in firing, hiring position, but right. I would just go on straight, like, and tell everyone that, you know, this would took place. But yeah, it was basically uh, fake it till you make it, you know, right. because at sometimes we just talked about like, you know, those high complexity tests. Let me tell you about the low complexity tests. Those are the ones that are like basically sold like pregnancy tests in the pharmacy where you just, you know, can do it yourself. There's like a stripe, let's say for negative, two stripes for positive, right? And so they, they're called waived tests. The low complexity, the only actual requirement is to just follow the manufacturer's instructions, but it's no different to like selling them at retail because they can produce, can be produced on the spot, very easy, but you have to have like, you know, reporting procedures and everything else like already in place so that you at least at least can guarantee some degree of certainty like 85 percent at best right but without any proper controls without any licensing without any reporting quality control checks without recording the lot numbers you wouldn't know if you were selling expired tests we wouldn't know if those tests were just you know just you know sitting on the hot sun all day because we had outdoor testing sites when those tests were delivered, Felix was cheap to never rent a proper warehouse. So we stored it in the warehouse in Redondo Beach. And it would be like piles of tests, like hundreds of thousands of tests just sitting in there, baking in like 100, 110 degree weather in a warehouse. And then they would be like delivered. And so that was not established until almost a year in. And the reason I know that is because I was put in, after the business compliance, I was put in charge and I could only be trusted with receiving what's called a clear certificate of waiver. So that is for the wave types of tests. So the RT-PCR is picked up and transported to the lab. Right. And pray that, it, you know, sorry, <laughs> and pray that it doesn't get lost in the middle or someone doesn't, you know, uh, spill the sample or just mismatch the barcode. For These, me, even if they would, you could just say. Negative, yeah. 
Um, because again, the, the positivity rate went from you know three percent to six percent, sometimes like seven, eight. So you were, I guess, I guess more likely not at your lab. Yeah, no. it was more likely than not that you would you know guess right. guess right. So yeah, so there were like lack of oversight and a lot of, and mind you, there were like you know there were very few like if any medical professionals. Then we, you know, later on we started, you know, hiring doctors and that is a whole different conversation of its own. Just the doctors who were basically providing the consultations. So turnaround times were the first big issue because right. with that came the faking of the tests. Right. Lost samples, you just could not produce them in time or you produce them in time, but you couldn't guarantee the validity of the test. So it's, again, it's just as good as guessing. Right. And so, yeah, there was, you know, so... When we had this meeting and Felix goes, we have our own lab, we're default alive now. Two weeks later, the subpoena arrived from district attorney. And so all these plans kind of get off the table. So Felix in his mind, okay, I need to stash as much money away as I can and probably run at some point, right? Because the time is already ticking. And so right. I would have these meetings with like, you know, with Max. Did, so But I mean, did you know this was coming? Like you knew there were complaints. <laughs> Yeah, but we always handle them on the local level. Let's say the FDA reached out and say, just remove the logo from the website because you are, yes, you are providing the tests that have the emergency use authorization. And that is the letter that is issued to the manufacturer of a particular test. Let's say you are selling a BD Veritor test. That's the type of antigen test. And they would issue the emergency use authorization letter that states that you have to follow this manufacturer's instructions, you have to have clear certificate of waiver, and therefore you can sell these types of tests. But you cannot advertise on the website that you were approved by FDA. It's just right. like, it doesn't oh. work like that. It's like, and that's what you were not endorsed. Yeah. Initially, you were saying that. Right. And so they essentially, their complaint settled with that, just us removing the language and putting the actual emergency use authorization letter at the bottom of the website. Yeah, it's and just that's a it. cease and desist. Yeah. And so, you know, we got on the phone with them. It was very quick. It was some doctor, you know, who worked for that. And so that was kind of dealt with. Um, but when, you know, when it came to, you know, more serious issues, it all, all came down all at once. And because it was such a, like, you know, such a big deal, because it comes from like, so by then had to hire like in-house attorney. And uh, basically me and the in-house attorney were, well, the in-house attorney was put in charge of handling that case. And I was assisting him in conducting all these interviews and essentially gathering the information that could be later passed on to the regulators for, you know, fair evaluation. I've, I haven't gotten only to the surface of it, but I knew it was serious. What I'm wondering about is like, how did you hear there was a subpoena? You know, who got the subpoena? How did you hear it? And what was your thought? Like subpoena? Like, why? What's that? Like... Right. What I, are you I, don't, I don't think most of us have, in that company at least had heard a word subpoena before. I had because I read like, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street and like a bunch of those books before they produced a movie. So I was more or less familiar, been around the block. So the subpoena arrived and I believe it was like late April 2021. And so Felix calls me to the office on a very serious matter. He says, Lev, I can trust you <laughs> with this. You're going to work with in-house counsel. And uh, there is, you know, these people looking onto our business. It's nothing serious, but, you know, I think you should work on it. I'm like, okay. And so I learned from who, the... In who's who? Who's who, yeah. And I was like, I learned from the in-house counsel. It was like district attorney and like, you know, essentially send a list of like 90 or like plus derogatory, interrogatories to produce information on our dealings. So by then we were 
also hiring doctors. Because we had applied previously for vaccination and you know to be able to receive vaccines and essentially do the vaccination business, we purchased all of the, the cold storage and cold chain solutions because they were temperature sensitive and perishable. So you had to like have the cold chain established as part of the application process. And so the first kind of like red flag was when we were first approved for like 15 sites in California, but then we even received like paraphernalia for it, but we never received the vaccines themselves. So we were like, okay, that's weird. Is there something wrong with us? And so, but you know, how do you make, if the vaccine is free, then how do you make money? Right. Then, so how do you do like, well, the law is hanging fruit, of course. And again, that's not me speaking, that's basically what possibly went through Felix's mind because, you know, and everyone else's mind at this point because I know how they operate. So how do you make money from the vaccine if it's free? Well, the lowest hanging fruit would be just to test everyone because it's covered by insurance and you have to make sure that the, the person is negative so that they can be, you know, administered the vaccine. Otherwise, you cannot do it if they, you know, if they have COVID. So that's one, so you can test them before, right? And then the second one would be the doctor's consultation. And this is where the majority of money and the fraud actually came from. So Felix began with partnering with one of the doctors. There was like a celebrity doctor had very well-established practice, Dr. Toll, who, by the way, needs to have his name vindicated because he is a very ethical person. I worked with Dr. Toll many times and I've had, you know, had projects with him and I know everything that was alleged by Felix or otherwise about him, it was mostly Felix's mastermind. And then Dr. Toll essentially was basically giving Felix a finger and this guy would just, you know, bite the whole arm and then the entire body. So so Felix was basically saying that so investigating that the doctor is doing something wrong. Yeah, the doctor is doing something wrong. That's his fault. But in reality, so he partnered with Dr. Toll and some other doctors in the nation in those states that we were operating. And we offered medical consultation before the testing. Which meant that if you were testing for COVID through insurance, if you signed up, we knew that there's a list of, let's say, 5,000 patients or like 3,000 patients on a given day that could also receive a medical consultation from a doctor through telehealth. So there would be a list of doctors sitting. They would receive a list of patients. So they would just pick one, dial, you know, for 30 sec- a 30 second phone call, a minute phone call, ask three questions. Have you been exposed? Are you symptomatic? Do you have any complications? That's it. And that would constitute a medical consultation. And they get to bill. And they can bill the insurance for the life-threatening condition. So essentially, you would go to test for free at the COVID testing you know, site and then receive uh, a later a letter from your insurer, uh, insurance provider and says, you know, there's like $600 bill. Right. People would freak out and call us and be like, like, what's going on, guys? Like, is it free? And then, you know, we had a separate already like established crew of people who would answer those phones and say, well, this is just an explanation of benefits. You know, owe anything to the insurance is just what we charge yeah. because of this. Cost you nothing. Cost you nothing. Exactly. So essentially, you go from zero to $70 per test to $600 per test. Nice. Doctors, you know, smile and dial. You know, that's yeah. what we used to used to call it. So with that, there were several interns. So everything was an upcharge. So from, you know, expediting of the COVID test to receiving the doctor's consultation. And so doctors were happy at first to be making money. But then when they looked at the transcripts of the calls, they looked at how many, like the volume, the sheer volume of those calls. So just making, at some point those volumes dropped. So Felix calls me to the office. Again, Lev, we have a problem. In the past two weeks, we lost $4 million in revenue. 
I hope you understand. I'm like, Felix, I do. And so he puts me, Dr. Toll sitting next to me. So Felix is like, okay, by Saturday, I want you to have 10 to 15 doctors training in the, you know, in the office next door. And today is like, you know, Wednesday. I'm like, right. training? I was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I go and start calling those like locum tenants agencies. And those are basically doctors for like last minute hire. So that we can refill the volume of the doctors that realized there was something shady going on. It's like, right. why am I sitting here calling like, you know, 60 like patients a day? Do and we then... really need the doctors to call? I mean, who knows who's making those calls? Physicians, have... MDs. Yes, well, essentially you do because what you have to hire them through the medical corporation because same day you can hire them directly. So they would use doctor's license and their medical corporation to hire those doctors so that the insurance company can be built through the doctor's office. It wasn't same day. Oh, uh, okay. And then they would keep, yeah. so they, they were like anti-kickback clause. If, if they didn't make 500 phone calls yeah, they and, they got, and they were being, they couldn't bill for 500 because they'd yeah. be like, I made 45 calls. What's the 500? That's totally, I mean, that's totally fine too. The complete call, they marked them as complete because people would just hang up. People would say no, but you would have to do like six calls per hour to make it worth a while because the doctor would get paid like a hundred bucks. We would pay, or let's say $150 per hour. So it was worth their while. You know, they would still like, you know, make a G a day, right. like just sitting at their home not even going to the office and just making those phone calls. Why not just have somebody else make the calls and just and still pay the doctor? Well, that's because you would have to, well, that's clever, but I'm pretty sure it crossed their mind a lot of times, but there would I mean, be- Felix seems like that kind of guy. Like Felix is my kind of guy. Yeah. I don't have any problems <laughs> with Felix. I'm like, I Felix, I like where your head's at. Right, and, until he would screw you over, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah, like well, tell him it was his fault. He's got a- Money is mine, fault is go. his. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So um, I love when the subpoena arrives and yeah, he gets the subpoena and says, and he's like, my God, the doctors produce, are doing something wrong. Yeah. Produce correspondence, Felix versus every medical professional in the company. And he's just probably sitting there like every medical professional, like every single person that ever, yes, every single person you've ever spoken with. So essentially, you know, what summarizes this, the court, the, the case that was brought in by a district attorney was settled. And it states that, you know, using of the, you know, upcharging the for consultation, you know, fake faking of the tests, you know, consumers receive same day tests, so negative this is results. Where, this is the subpoena. So the subpoena, the subpoenas were served. Yeah. They did a, a, year a thorough late, investigation yeah. over the course of a year. A year later, they, essentially, this comes as a settlement. So they reached a settlement for like 22.5 million and the other, I believe, like $4 million to Dr. Jeff Toll. Again, who so needs like to be 20, vindicated? Like because, 25, 25 million dollars. And I'm pretty sure it was, you know, paid out of you know same day pocket because again, it wasn't Dr. Toll's fault, I believe. At least that's my you know fair assessment of so the situation. Twenty five million dollars and the government I'm sorry, twenty five million dollar fine and there are a bunch your, of injunctions. And your company Felix. gets to keep work. The company keeps, gets to keep working. Yeah. So because we're talking about like the end of April of 2021 subpoena arrives. So it took almost a year to reach a settlement. By then, by the end of the summer of 2021, which is like a full year into company's operations. By then I had received every single like 50 clear certificates of waiver for every single site. And then right. I went on to inspect every single site and establish those reporting procedures, make sure everyone's doing their quality controls, make sure that they monitor the lot numbers and the expiration dates, which wasn't the case because I found a bunch of fake like expired tests. And so 
in essence, they What's were faking over? tests. What's that box over there? Yeah, <laughs> which box? This <laughs> box? Like, yeah, we no, we used from these boxes. Yeah. It was like, okay, sure. But again, I was the type of guy who would always to right the wrong. And so if I saw some, you know, some violation, my first reaction would be to fix it. Right. Because in the end of the day, we're all promise equity. We're, this is our company now. Or so we thought, you know, again, uh, promises. Mm-hmm. So you would imagine at that point, this guy is just sitting on the needles. So he's basically ready to like, you know, to leave any time. But because I received all these licenses and because we were doing the public service, they were allowed to operate. So they would allow it to continue to operate and everything would be okay and well. But, you know, later on, Felix broke that, you know, that rule by, you know, attempting to acquire a different lab. And so he went on record and said like... Uh, so during this settlement, part of this settlement was what? To Okay, so he was prohibited from accessing of the medical records. He was also was specifically enjoyed from having database login credentials that would allow for direct access to medical record, including but not limited to test results and laboratory reports. So there were separation in between the medical lab that we owned, it was called QuickMed. There was a separate sample collection business at that point. So everything was separated. So what he was good at, he was good at stashing the funds away, spinning up a new entity, and then stripping the old entities of assets and then essentially selling off to the employees is that, oh, you own like, you know, some percentages of same day. But by then, same day didn't have a lab because it was a separate entity that he owned. Right. The, you know, he laundered away, like, you know, with help of CFO and the accountants, tens of millions of dollars or as much as like 20% of all cash receipts. And I know that from the Figma file that he accidentally exposed, <laughs> he was basically just doing the training video and then he switched the screen and it's like this whole schema of 20% hearty holdings for tax purposes, 2% to engineering. Like, I was just, and he, you know, anyway, that's how I found out about this whole, like, I was like, wait a minute. But of course, you know, I was the type of guy who wanted to like, you know, push the right things forward. And then I knew it eventually would just be like, uh, we, we would be okay because I bet only on myself. And when, you know, Felix would ask us, like, do you believe in this team? Do you believe in, like, we cannot grow 10, like, you know, 10, 20 times the size? And I'm just sitting there and I was like, yes, but it's mostly because I know I am capable of doing that. And I will watch the bottom line. I will make sure that everything is tied and brought into place. Right. Even though it wasn't there in the first, I know, the first time around. So, yeah, we we party like, you know, they, they, I wouldn't say they party like ballers. We started buying labs. We at some point acquired like three different labs. One that he wasn't, allowed, he wasn't allowed to purchase. The settlement came later. But okay. we're still talking about the moment from the subpoena arrived. We're still like alive and well and functioning and everything is going well. And in the year like 2021, I think the revenue should have been close to maybe like $100 million. So in year 2022, according to Felix and you know the latest filings by another lawsuit that was brought in by SDI Labs, the revenue reached like in August was close to like 200 a million dollars right before the busy season so i would assume that's why we put 300 million dollar you know slap out there because you know cumulatively like in between all these years of course we probably rank close to like 500 million and that's you know make me makes me proud because i don't think i will ever be a part of a startup where or a company where people would just line up just to give you 200 dollars in cash i mean i've seen it with like you know cannabis business when like you know there's like this whole green craze yeah happened but i don't think 
there would be like another pandemic or like another time where I would be essentially part of like the fastest growing. And we build it with our own hands and like no one can take this away from me because I know personally that I went to the sites, I checked people in like thousands of them and I helped, even if we say like we earned anywhere from 300 to uh, $500 million, the company ended up earning on let's say $100 per test on average. That means that I personally helped anywhere from like three to five million Americans during the pandemic. So my karma is through the roof for like generations to come. I believe that I've done a great job. And so again, it's, despite, it's a shame. Despite Felix's. Again, you know, it, if it wasn't for the greed, if it wasn't for, you know, desire to prove everyone wrong, if it wasn't for the, just the outright ignorance from, you know, of the state laws or labor laws or his like desire to like outsmart everyone. Like, oh, I'm gonna hire, I'm gonna fire 700 people and then hire them the next day on the separate corporation. And then he would essentially hire three people to call old employees and offer them $500 Amex card in exchange for signing an arbitration agreement, meaning that they could not bring the case again same day for the jury trial which means that everyone will be siloed into their own little arbitration because you cannot negotiate with the crowd or you cannot fight with the crowd. But if you separate them one by one, if they sign their rights away in exchange for 500 bucks, then you limit your exposure, right. at least on the labor front. Now that was the probably the biggest risk and the biggest, you know, second biggest expenditure. So the biggest expenditure was always on marketing. Second one would be labor. And then everything else came, you know, came after that. So, and therefore your exposure grows exponentially with the number of people. If you have, you know, a thousand people working for you, that's a thousand, you know, lawsuits that you're potentially facing. And so he thought he would outsmart everyone, doctors, insurers, everyone, including the DA, but that wasn't the case. We did a lot of great things though, because again, I, I don't want to take away from the people who worked so hard. I would want to take away from people who showed up every day and built the labs, built the testing sites and did all of this. We purchased like three labs. We had, I think at most like 20 Teslas Model Y. We were doing home visits to like, you know, affluent neighborhoods. Right. Yeah, there would be a nurse arriving in a white Tesla Model Y, you know, all beautiful scrubs and just doing the swab. It's just, you know, it's a touchy-feely thing, you know, that people enjoy. It's like almost like Mandy Petty yeah. that you just go and like enjoy that. Yeah. Very California. Yeah, enjoy that, that service. So what about when the actual vaccines came along? Was it done by then? No, actually. So you guys ever get vaccines came along in 2021 at the beginning. And then the rollout was essentially, it was in full swing by summer of 2021. But still by then everyone was getting, you know, a second booster or like getting reinfected again, regardless of whether they had but the I'm vaccine saying, so you or not. you guys just did testing. Yeah. Well, we applied for vaccines and we didn't receive them in like 15 sites. We received them only in Virginia, I believe. There was only one site that we ran vaccinations out of. Um, but that's that was what, about why it. Why didn't you guys get the vaccines? They just wouldn't. I believe because we had an operator. Yeah. So here, I guess, because it, it, the timing was aligned with essentially, let's say if we applied in March, I'm sorry, we applied in uh, January of 2021 for like 15 sites in California. In February, we would receive the approval. But then in April, the subpoena arrived. So oh. make it, you know, whether it's coincidental, maybe they started, you know, right. suspecting something of us, or maybe it's just so that, you know, 
their reasoning was that they overallocated everything to already existing government sites, whether it would be the pharmacies or like, you know, hospitals or more established. So there was no need yeah. to run another vaccination site. Um, and also because COVID, you know, testing and COVID itself was alive and well, vaccine or not. And like, I don't want to like diminish the nature of the virus. I had, you know, I had COVID once. In all, you know, basically in all those months and a year that I worked in the company. And that was by virtue of essentially I would go on a Sunday and just sit and check in the people like as a client manager because we had like we were short staffed and overwhelmed with the demand. And so inadvertently when you sit and you have like 300 people coming in and they just, you know, breathing on you. And even if it's like at 5% uh, positivity rate at that point, you're talking about like 15 people that definitely have COVID. Yeah. They just breathe on you. So it, it, it depends on really the exposure. So again, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not here to talk about like the masks or the vaccines or none of that. Like, yeah, I, yeah. again, I don't, it's not my, you know, not my area of expertise. And again, I don't want to spin any conspiracy theories or make, you know, any statements but I will tell you that it's a real disease. It took lives of, you know, over a million Americans. People were sick and I had it. I felt sick for like at least four days. I'm a healthy guy. I just recovered and, you know. I've had it twice. My, my right. wife's had it So it's not a times. It's not a joke, right? So yeah. you know that this is like for someone who had pre-existing conditions and it was really good at attaching itself to the weakest, like, you know, spots in your either immune system or pre-existing conditions. And so... That's why I don't want to say that uh, neither masks nor vaccines made any sense, but the COVID is still alive and well. And so therefore, COVID testing was recession-proof and pandemic-proof. And even when in the times of slowdown, there would always be a time they would just reemerge with a new strain that is more viral, right. that there would be essentially a new outburst somewhere. And so even when the company was shut down officially in April of 2023, citing that, you know, the lack of demand, it wasn't even true. Again, they were just at this point running. So so what happened with Felix and Max? Like, did they, you know, they did the right thing. They got an attorney. They went into the U.S. attorney's office and they said, hey, listen, we want to do the right thing. We made some mistakes. We <laughs> want to plead guilty. What can we do to... So, yeah. So when Felix wanted something from someone... He would always make this very nice voice and be like, would you please sign it for me? Would you please do that? Oh, well, we're so sorry. He's like, we're so sorry. We would never do this again. And so, you know, seek for forgiveness and be like a, a wolf in ship's clothing. But so the settlement was reached with the district attorney, with the DA and the city attorney. And so he was enjoined from accessing all those records. He but was what? He was enjoined from accessing of the medical records. Okay, so right, right. there were restrictions placed on him. And some, you know, on the company that they were no longer, you know, pursuing those shady practices with doctors, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a civil lawsuit, though. Okay. Yeah. And so then comes another Felix moment when he decides that, well, I'm going to go ahead and acquire more businesses because I want to be in the essentially lab business right now. And so he breaks the law and essentially breaks his settlement. And that's perhaps why he's in hiding right now. So... My internal sources told me that he left the country in April and that it's confirmed by this, you know, right. a lawsuit that is filed. So he buys a, another lab, thereby he giving attempts him... attempts to buy another lab. Oh, but to. yeah, because again, just to avoid the publicity and that is essentially covered in this court docket. Again, this is allegations because there's still like an existing case. But these like allegations say here that he attempted to buy another lab. He made an offer and then he, a cash offer, and then he 
backtracked it and said, I'm going to spin another entity because same day has bad publicity. So I don't want to be any bad publicity associated with it. I'm going to spin this new entity called Fundamentum Health. Another, it's called, <laughs> there's a first one for me, a triangular reverse merger. So reverse merge is usually one entity under the other one. This one, he merged, he attempted to merge the sample collection, which would be called, which would be same day, with QuickMet Lab, which would be the laboratory, and the new laboratory that he was planning to acquire. And I think this is where he got the cold feet, because he was nego- he was negotiating that deal, and he then promised the portion of the purchase price to be paid in the shares of the new entity. So let's go over it again. I'm coming to you and say, hey, I'm going to buy your lab. Right. You'd be like two and a half million cash. You'd be like, okay, great. Here's a term sheet. Let's sign it. Oh, wait a second. Actually, you know what? I don't have any good publicity. And, you know, this was everyone else's fault. It was Dr. Toll's fault. So I'm going to spin a new entity and it's going to be so beautiful, so amazing. And so I'm going to give you, let's say, you know, two million in cash or let's say a million, let's say a million in cash and two million in the stock equivalent of this new entity. But this new entity doesn't even exist. And he right. used the revenue, combined revenue of, let's say, same day in QuickMed and say, this is the valuation of the company. It's going to be worth quarter million dollars. And so I'm going to give you two and a half million dollars worth of shares right. of this new entity. Will you this please... new entity doesn't even exist. Right. Will you please, please sign this? <laughs> Would you this? please, please sign this? Exactly. Right now, please. For me. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, so the district attorney... So the district attorney then gets informed about this. And so I believe this is why he decided that, you know, I violated this and there's no getting back because the company that was getting acquired started going back and forth. And so the deal was getting more and more complicated from acquisition of just assets to acquisition of everything, technology, assets, accounts, payable, like everything, essentially the billing of the insurance, everything. And so... At some point, they found out about the settlement of with the district attorney, and Felix misrepresented it. He brushed it off and said, oh, it was someone else's fault. It was Dr. Toll's fault. Meanwhile, he didn't even disclose that he had no right, like he was prohibited from or enjoined from accessing any of the medical records. And the guy goes into the you know staff meeting with this new company and says, I just acquired you. I'm your new boss. And essentially, you work for me now. Right. By virtue of like accessing everyone's record, proprietary information, all of that. So he violated the settlement. And I believe this is why, you know, he's uh, on the run. And, you know, he first, you know, according to some sources, went to like Dubai and then they're tracking him. So, you know, how there's did he no do that? Did he just jump on like private, a tracking software. Well, yeah. You know, he, I'm saying, how did he like, when did you find out he fled? Were you still working at the company and you came in one day and they said... No, so I was I was let go after I did that inspection where, you know, I found the, the fake tests and all this other information. And so I was essentially terminated. Felix um, called you in and said, please leave? What happened? <laughs> yeah, it was basically like that. They ambushed me on a Friday night. And so if, if the, you know, if the meeting comes on a Friday night at 4.30 in the afternoon, you know that something's up. And so I walk in and surely enough, you know, sign this, you know, and they embarrassed me and, you know, tried to accuse me of things, you know, and it was just very dirty business on their behalf. I was only a month into my new company, but then I came from all these inspections and I just couldn't stand. A, a month into your new company? I'm new sure. contract. Oh, new contract. So okay. I just renewed the contract with shares that were promised at like, you know, certain amount of dollars, which was like $14 per share and ended up being like 83 cents per share. So he screwed everyone. Every single employee they work for same day, every single partner, everyone. And so I found out about him fleeing the country 
essentially I get terminated end of 2021. In April of 2022, the news come out. The Los Angeles Times breaks the story about the settlement with the DA. So they still operate almost entirely full year. He is trying to acquire this new company in August through like December of 2022. And then... When the deal gets complicated, there was also, according to my sources, the Department of Justice visiting the offices and placing their agents and who were monitoring the activity. There were independent counsel appointed. There were like some things that were placed so that they could monitor the activity. And so he probably got cold feet again because he realized that he violated this original very settlement. And so then he would be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And... Someone told me that, you know, basically the guy just booked a flight and just skipped the country, including like, you know, leaving his girlfriend and essentially, you, you know, said like his someone girlfriend, should... supposed, you heard they were supposed to be going on a date. Yeah, She's something like, I'm, again, it's a hearsay, you know, yeah, yeah. it's like I have a lot of friends and a lot of, I trust me, I've made a lot more friends than I made enemies in this company because I always like stood up for, <laughs> for everyone. And so I have sources and, you know, what they told me that he basically just, yeah, he was just essentially just booked and and left and so like you know almost like to some other people living in his house already like you know so it it was really uh, again it's still you know yet remains to be seen like what actually had happened and so like you know the story will continue for what did you hear happened so again so i heard that you know there were some investigations no one really knew anything and then i just started digging through the court dockets and then i found this new like lawsuit that no, was no, just I meant, filed. With the, I meant with the girlfriend you said you oh heard. just one of the guys one of the guys told me is like oh my god he just like left not even telling his girlfriend that he was like going somewhere or something like that so and then was, like a couple days later there was already yeah. a real estate agent yeah essentially his house. yeah exactly so like you know but again it's 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 a hearsay so i cannot right. really rely on that but it's it's something I'm that i'm good with hearsay I know it's something Here's that some hilarious it just sounds shit. something he, he would do. It sounds great. You, I, I mean, I love so the what idea. Happened, so what okay. happened to Maxo? Maxo, after you know they terminated me, goes to renew his visa because he was like on a tourist or something. So he had to like every six months leave the country and come back. Gets busted and he's no longer allowed in the United States. So this guy is basically like no longer allowed in, and he's still like running the company. The irony of it. And when I learned those news after being fired, I'm just sitting there. I was like, you know what? Karma is a bitch. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they take him and send him back to Germany. Yeah, he could never probably like re-enter again. And so now Felix, they're tracking him. So they say he was in Dubai, then like in Croatia and Brazil. So he's going places, but um, it's probably those that have no extradition laws. So- Plus some other guys who are uh, looking to bring like private lawsuits against him for like wrongful termination told me that you know he just ran and there's like in no extradition country and that um even the guys from like from the lab are trying to you know trying to sue them so it's from his own lab so it's a sad you know situation what happened to um the money that was made i believe a lot of it was you know laundered and so they were already had like their you know escape plans right uh, and then so what is now offered to, on the last call, that was on January 26, 2023, which was a few months back. So they said there were some cash reserves left. There was some scrap and trash from the sites, from the equipment that they could sell. And they were looking to cash out like people at, you know, very low price. Again, just so that they could sign the cash out receipts and shut up and go away. The lab, however, got separated. It's not functioning. So none of those entities are functioning anymore. But the labs, the network of labs, I believe it was, you know, still under control of one of the one of the guys. So we had this CFO, Travis Owen, who was who was a CFO who was basically a fixer for Felix and all of those. Because Felix 
let's put it this way he wasn't very he was smart in knowing what he wants to do and he just didn't know how to do it so for example visionary they call that to being a visionary Yeah, he was a visionary right and so he had an accountant and the cfo a glorified accountant roger wong who was like his yes man he would order his like lunches and dinners and would execute any single order that he says including like you know this phone calls like you know hey call everyone and offer them 500 bucks in exchange for this and roger would be like you know what i think about numbers differently and i was like what do you mean like multiplication division what do you mean like you know like 300 employees time five is that is that what you mean but like essentially they I believe that they were the ones who actually make it happen for him, like, you know, establish a different entity. We're going to send this money this way and this way. Use a, a certified auditor and accounting firm so that when we form a new entity, it looks kosher. Meanwhile, we just stripped all these assets away. And so essentially trying to cash out everyone for half of what people were all just as part of the salary. I'm not talking about like, for example, let's say if someone was getting paid $90,000 a year, they would offer them actually let's say $30,000 in stock options and 60 in cash. That's what I mean by giving them rent money and then the rest. But it then turned out after two years when the company, you know, brought in over like $300 million in revenue that those 30,000 are now 15,000. You're like, wait a minute. So it's not that I even didn't earn any money. I ended up losing money as part of my salary because the options that were promised, they violated what's called a no sale doctrine. And the no-sale doctrine means that if you were to hire someone and offer them stock options as benefit, which means that it's a voluntarily option, they can just walk away and say no or just accept it, not accept it, just like a healthcare plan. Right. But if you're telling them that I'm going to pay part of your salary in those options, you're effectively selling it to them. You're the seller, they're the buyer. And you're promising, the pro- they say, the price of $14 per share, which they confirmed, by the way, on that call, that internally they advertise as $14 per share, speculating that there would be like a new investor coming in and that they would bring the price up to $14. So you need to really sign it right now because otherwise, please, right. because otherwise, you know, the, the is going to be a lot more expensive for you to do so. And so everyone did because everyone's like, okay, great. That's awesome. You know, I'm going to, you know, it's $14 per share. Like calculate it. I have like, you know, 2000 shares, for example, that's, you know, 28 grand right now, potentially 10 X. I'm going to make quarter million dollars. That's right. great. Meanwhile, you're going to receive 14K right. two years later when the company had the best years. And so that was like, the, like again, the, probably the biggest mistake he's ever made. Forget all these like scams and stuff. As a founder, as an entrepreneur, your only mission, if you want to be successful, is to align incentives and make sure that people who are close to you, who work hard, are getting paid. And I'm not, I don't mean that it's like everyone's equal. Of course not. They're heavy hitters. They're early contributors. They're consultants who are worth a lot more than, you know, some of the employees. I'm talking about aligning incentives so everyone knows that that are taken care of. So that they will not be cheated out of their salary, out of their bonus, because those people will resent you. They are the closest ones to you. They have the ones who have the most information. And they are going to be the last ones to put the final nail in your coffin. If so... my employees admiration versus a hundred million dollars i see where the the scale is tipping i'm gonna be okay with you know you guys (laughs) dislike me and listen listen that yeah that hurts i know 
save you but tears. But I've got a hundred million dollars. Yeah. You know. Hey, look, I'm all for it. So and I don't I feel know, bad. I don't know how many people you met who went from absolute rocks to incredible riches. They will think they're god. Like no one can. It's not even like the fu money. It is basically f all of you money. Yeah. Like all at the same time. What do you mean I'm not right? Fuck, you're wrong. I'm right. You do this, you do that. It's like, Felix, do you understand that we cannot put this thing because there is, doesn't have an off-ramp for the disabled people? I was like, you know what, Lev? If anyone comes and tries to sue us that for the disabled person not being able to access, I'll pay the fine. How about that? Right. And we're just standing there and I was like, bro, like, are you actually, like, are you serious? Like, you see, your problem is you're people. not a visionary. That's the problem. You don't understand how visionaries think. And that's probably the only I'm th- a visionary. And that's probably the only thing I'm guilty of, okay? I listen like because this uh, is not my guilt. This is not my guilt. Listen, Felix has had a hard time. Like I think you feel like you're hard on you're being hard on Felix. You feel like he's a visionary. He was doing God's work. It didn't work out. Felix, it didn't work to out. God, I'm so sorry, buddy. I'm really sorry. You know, sometimes there should be more people like you than people like me. Listen, next time when he comes back, the second round, Steve Jobs. First time didn't work out with Elizabeth Apple. Holmes. Sometimes you got to leave. You got to make it. You got to come back. Absolutely. Next time he'll know better. He'll be like, you know what? It was a little harsh last time. Yeah, I know. I'm going to be better. The now. wolf of COVID street, you know? Yeah. Elizabeth Holmes it. in, in 10 years from now when she comes back. That machine's going to work. His brains, my execution. That machine, I heard right now, she's putting that machine together. <laughs> In prison, she's working. This, Was this, it Fire Island Part 2? Yeah, it's point, yeah, oh, Fire, uh, Fire Festival yeah, Part 2.0. 2. 2. 2.0, yeah, exactly. This time, we're going to nail the sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> what is that guy's name? He just got out of prison. He's doing um, the circuit. Billy, again, I, I don't want to get into that again. It's good for him. Yeah. Good for him. But yeah, so that's the uh, the story of the fastest growing business in America. I hope you enjoyed it <laughs> during COVID pandemic. So while you were all bracing for impact and struggling and taking care of your relatives, Felix, Maxo, and a bunch of his surroundings were just partying it up. Lying in their all pockets. All day and night. Yep. But now he's on the run. And I'll bet he's really, I'll bet it's all like Airbnbs and it's got to be rough for him now. It's got to be like, he's probably yeah, struggling right struggling. now. Struggling. Like, can you imagine having to live on hundred million? Ugh. That's Lot, bad, bro. You know, it's so painful. It is. It's, so it's painful. harsh. But it's all right. You know, there's there's always like silver lining. There's always, you know, people who live to see the story and, you know, and tell the story to others. And in that, I hope there's, again, I it would be, it would be unfair for me to sit and judge here, right? Because not only we, we did something good for the public, but at what cost. We employed a lot of people. We provided jobs. We... Even if it wasn't like on paper all kosher, I know that, you know, the, you know, most of the tests were legitimate. There's just no way to prove it. There's <laughs> a caveat. Most of them? Most of them, but some, you know, maybe half. <laughs> Who knows? But I yeah. It. I get it. These guys, those guys were robbing banks. Yeah. How do you know? I was driving the getaway car. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And so I just, in the end, I just want to uh, do a quick plug, if you don't mind. Um, yeah, no. I just want to talk about the, it's the book and the story that I wrote uh, about it, uh, about my adventure. It's called The Wealth and Hellness. And it's a wordplay on the health and wellness. And I, uh, I didn't steal it from anyone. I took it from the dead body. Essentially, Maxo, at some point when she's giving a presentation, he made a fraudulent slip 
where he, instead of saying we're transitioning from just COVID testing to wealth and wellness, health and wellness business. And right then and then I was like, that's the name of the that's book. That's it. That's it. when this whole thing comes crushing down on these two fuckers. That's what I'm naming the book, the tell all book. Yeah, exactly. Because they're German, you know, it, it's just it, this story is just writing itself at this point, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. Do you feel, do you think that, do you think Felix looked up Max and said, Hey, bro, I know I owe you a check? <laughs> Actually, you know, because Max was part of the original, like, you know, minority, uh, I'm pretty sure he's like, you know, he's also well taken care of. And so were a couple other people. And again, because they did some shady things together. And it's more so that I believe they have this circle right now where they wouldn't, you know, talk on each other unless they absolutely, you know, forced. Because again, there were a lot of partying. There were a lot of, you know, things that were done that could basically embarrass and put this stain on everyone's name. But you'll probably have to read my book about it. So nothing, not everything is on this podcast. There are a lot of other things that... I just, you know, it remains to be uncovered. But yeah, you have basically the the long and the short of it. All right. So what's going on? I have a question real quick. What are you doing now? I, you're, so you're I'm, a man without I'm a home. very keen on, well, you know, I just moved out of LA shortly, <laughs> but I'll be on the, I'll be a roadman for a little bit. I am very much into decentralized publishing now. I had my previous experiences with crypto. And so I got into decentralized publishing. It means that it's immutable, it cannot be censored, and it cannot be removed from the face of the earth. I mean, if Ethereum is removed, then maybe that happens. But I think I'm going to work on that so that, you know, the authors and the writers who do not wish to be silenced and those, the voices that we need to hear and the stories just like mine, they need to be told to people. There is a big market for it. And I think that's what I, I will do in the foreseeable future. Plus, I'm also as a as an emotional sort of like get my emotional getaway during this like you know otherwise difficult time because for the longest I was in the pit and I was sad I didn't know like you know if I even existed but I did and so I was writing and then I picked up some you know NFT projects and so I mean where one it's a tiny dino so it's a tiny dino tiny it's, dino yeah it's not a plug full <laughs> disclosure I'm not a promoter there are no promoters in this comp in in that in that collection but. It's just a collection of tiny dinos, and I'm working on producing a animated show with those little little creatures. So little, yeah, I have little. some you know emotional you know um, remedies and things that I, I seek escape in, and then I also found my other passion in writing, and I, I believe I'm decent at it. I've had only uh, good reviews so far, so I want to get more into the production and uh, telling the story and enabling others to do the same. When do you think that the book will be complete? The book is complete. So we're just going through the edits right now. I released several chapters. So, you know, weeks, months, there isn't much, you know, these days there isn't much in publishing, traditional publishing. So I think there's there is something to this story where it could be either televised or made into a TV show or a feature film. So I'm or open to- Or a documentary. To, or a documentary. Yeah, I mean, sometimes so doc, I'm, I'm you do a doc and this. And sometimes I'm, you do a doc and a doc ends up transitioning into those other things. Yeah. And so like, you know, I am basically the person who was- the first employee of the company and you know i am you know very diligent i was a compliance officer and i took it very seriously i didn't take any of the company's secrets with me i never attempted to you know to blow the whistle i never went to authorities i was loyal to the very last moment until even i got screwed for the second time or the third time i can even you know cannot count these times <laughs> how many times and so i think 
that there are a lot of people who feel the same way. And just like I mentioned, I've gained a lot more friends, right. a lot more friends than rather than enemies doing that. So maybe there are a few people who will try to prevent me from telling this story. I wish them luck. All right. Hey, if you guys like the video, do me a favor, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell so you get notified of videos like this. Also, share this video because we want to get it out there. We want to get the story out there to as many people as possible. Also, we're going to leave any links for Lav in the description box. So click on a link, check them out. Really do appreciate it. Leave me a comment if anyone wants to get in touch with Lav. I'll try and leave some kind of a contact information for him in the description box also, or you can always hit me up. I really do appreciate it. Thank you very much. See ya.